Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested on this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, joingelt.com. Com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting guest, you know, a guest that uh, has built, scaled, financed, taking companies public. I mean, we're going to be talking about doing the IPO, doing a SPACs. You know, everyone has been talking about SPACs, you know, the, the also the downfalls of SPACs. But also, you know, like really being in a in an industry that he has been tackling left and right for several years, uh, which is life insurance. And I think that we're going to be really enjoying, you know, and finding his story very inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. John Savis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So born in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up in a family of entrepreneurs? <laughs> Uh, uh, growing up in a family of entrepreneurs was was wonderful. You know, they open minded, always encouraging. You know, whatever it was you wanted to pursue um, to the fullest extent. Uh, Minnesota is a wonderful place to grow up. You know, it's pretty idealistic out here. And you know, over the years, I've raised my family here, and you know, it just well, it just doesn't get much better in terms of that that nice life <laughs> that that we all seek to have. So. Um, it's, it's been a great place uh, to be. And how was it like to see, you know, your family members going through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship too? Like, um, you know, I guess, I guess experiencing that roller coaster of emotions too, I'm sure that you were able to really have a first row ticket to seeing that. I, I did. You know, honestly, I did um, have a first uh, row to some pretty extraordinary events, both success and challenges. Um, and. You know, I think the, the big lesson that I learned over time, specifically in business, uh, but may, maybe more broadly in life is that, but, but I think this is one really that goes into business, which is you never really know when, when the event is happening, how bad it really is or how good it could be. Even, even those bad events, even those things that feel so horrible at the time may turn out to be uh, blessings in disguise in, in other ways. So, so in business, you, the key piece is always continuing to move forward and, and, and not, not dwell too much on, on that past, reflect on it, learn from it, but keep moving forward because you're going to see how things unfold and they're likely to unfold in ways that you didn't uh, expect. 
So in your case, you ended up uh, studying economics, but um, I mean, you did your your stint at Wall Street, but all of a sudden law school, law school, you know, becomes an option. I mean, why law school out of all things? <laughs> um, you know, when, when I when I graduated uh, undergrad, um, you know, I was mostly focused on skiing, uh, mountains, girls, having a lot of fun. And, and my my good friend suggested I go to work in Wall Street. And of course, that's exactly where I wanted to be. So I went to Wall Street, uh, spent uh, just over two years uh, working on, on the street, uh, got to learn the inside and out of finance. And it was kind of the, a standard track that people would go back then into grad school after spending several years in, uh, on the street. And at that point, I realized, again, maybe this is my background with being an entrepreneurial family uh, and all that I had learned at that point, which business school just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I wasn't interested in a human resources class. I mean, maybe I should have been. Maybe, maybe some of my team members might say I could, could benefit from one. But, but the reality is, is that I knew how to do a discounted cash flow valuation. You know, I knew how to model. And so um, when I thought about going to grad school, um, I thought about law school because I couldn't uh, sue anyone or I couldn't defend myself. So I knew that was going to uh, give me some more tools. And in fact, that was an, an excellent decision that I made for myself. So I went to law school and what I got out of law school were, were the tools, really, the, the real tools that I think entrepreneurs um, really need in their toolbox. So if someone's considering a young person going to law school, don't limit your career decisions to just being a lawyer. Of course, when you're in law school, you think you all of a sudden want to be a lawyer. But my intention was after law school was to go back to work in, in, in finance. And when I went to, back to the banks to apply for jobs, they would ask me, well, why did I go to law school? And I said, well, because I could do all these other things and I couldn't read and write. <laughs> what I realized after law school is I didn't know how to read and write. And that's what you really and think. And that's what law school teaches you. Um, and uh, so, so that was my, my career path. And I was early. That, today, it's, it's pretty um, um, accepted that you know, folks from law school go back to investment banking and or pursue other careers. But at the time, um, that, was, that was a little early in that, in that uh, theory. And so I, I really was then forced to start doing my own startups. And what, did you know, like when you went to law school, did you know you did not want it to be a lawyer? You just wanted that tool set, you know, and, and, and that expertise, you know, to, to kind of like change the perspective a little bit and understand different things that you didn't? Or was it like while you were getting the law degree where you were like, oh, my God, I absolutely don't want to be a lawyer. But this is good to know. <laughs> no, I, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer from the outset because <laughs> I, I knew that billing by the hour would limit my earning potential. <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> and so, so I knew that I, I had uh, that, that was a, not an not a acceptable career path for me. And so uh, I knew that what happens, though, in law school is, is you start to think that you should be a lawyer because it's actually pretty fun and they train you to, to really... So I chased that for a little bit, but I quickly um, knew, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and be in my own business. And the uh, tools of law school really equipped me to understand, uh, to be an entrepreneur. What's an LLC? What's an S-Corp? What does it mean to do a merger? What, is, what are the tax implications? I mean, all of these things that if you have basic knowledge and understanding of them makes you a much more effective. I, I, I think, and I can manage my lawyers much more effectively, right? I think of my lawyers as... Uh, plumbers or electricians or uh, roofers, right? They're my, they're my subcontractors and I'm the general contractor. So I'm able to manage my lawyers because I can understand the language they're speaking. So then for you, 
you finished law school, obviously, as you said, you know, you tried knocking on a few doors, but then eventually you started your own company. So how was that uh, process, you know, from the moment that you're like, you know what, maybe I'm going to go at it and this is exactly what it makes sense for me? Yeah, I, I started, you know, I, I like to say you, you take an investment banker or finance uh, person and you send them to law school and you, you end up with what's called a structured finance professional. And structured finance really is this idea of, of structuring, either whether it's the cap structure or cash flows to different financing uh, tranches within a, within a balance sheet and different instruments. And so really that's what I, I knew I wanted to pursue. It's a really, you know, uh, I think smart way of thinking about how one finances a company. And so I, I ended up really finan- focusing on structured finance. I partnered up with my former law school professor. We began working together. We began doing consulting to different companies to use these structured finance techniques to help other entrepreneurs either raise money or restructure or whatever. And we did that for a number of years until I really then started my first startup, which happened to be in partnership with the Euro Money Center Bank that wanted to focus on structured finance. And so it was really that that was the career that I was uh, choosing. And that bank really wanted a person, an entrepreneur who had structured finance experience so that I could properly build this business uh, that they wanted to pursue. So we, we did it uh, as a partnership, a joint venture, and I had uh, $250 million of committed capital uh, on day one when we closed that business. And, and this business was GWG Holdings. It was focused on the life insurance industry, and I was really excited. So that was sort of the shift of finance-minded minded, uh, approach to business, then into this uh, industry called the life insurance industry, prior to which I knew very little or anything about. I never bought a life insurance policy. I'd read about it. I'd seen it somewhere in a commercial or in a golf game or whatever, but that was about it. <laughs> oh, so, so what ended up then being the business model of GWG Holdings? How were you guys making money? Yeah, GWG Holdings was a fascinating business. It, 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 it participated in what is known as the secondary market of life insurance. It's, 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 a, it's this idea that life insurance policies later in their life, when the uh, owner of the policy or the insured is older, let's say 80 years and older, that policy has, has standalone value on an actuarial basis alone. And, and, and if seniors knew about this, they would readily access the, the value. And so that is the business. And it's still a business today. And it's a very viable business. It's a very interesting business because you put money in the hands of the senior who, without this market, is really uh, left with either lapsing the policy worthless or surrendering it for a fraction of its value in that secondary market. And so the value of that life insurance policy is predicated on, for example, a million-dollar death benefit that the 80-year-old will have to pay, say, $10,000 in premiums until his or her death. And so it's a back solve, right, based upon a, on a, on a present value calculation of paying those premiums over the lifetime of the insured. And so you're doing an actuarial calculation on the probability of paying next year's premium, next year's, and so on and so forth. And so it's a very interesting mathematical um, exercise, and it's all structured finance, and uh, it's a wonderful uh, business. Now, in this case, you pushed this company for about almost 14 years. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure that there was like a lot of ups and downs, but you ended up taking the company public. So 
How was that? How did the company develop? You know, at what point did you guys really turn a corner and all of a sudden, you know, started really taking off towards getting to that IPO? Yeah, you know, um, lots of ups and downs in that business. Um, you know, we we lived through the credit crisis of 08. So, you know, that was a big deal. And and the fact that we survived that is is a testament, I think, to the team and what it was we were doing and how it was we were approaching the industry. Um, because a lot of finance companies didn't. Um, and so we, we, we made it through that. And, and at the end of the day, we, we really um, built the business based on this idea of, of allowing in other investors uh, to participate in the financial return of these policies. And we ended up uh, becoming a public uh, registrant. And then ultimately, uh, our common stock was listed on, on NASDAQ. And so that was sort of the the trajectory through which um, we built the business. It, it, there was never a sort of big IPO per se. It was just sort of one of these quiet little companies you never heard about that was just sequentially growing that became a publicly registrant whose then stock was publicly listed on NASDAQ, who suddenly built a, a, a company with over a, you know, a billion dollars plus in assets. And we really had an incredible business uh, when uh, I, in about 2018, I uh, I struck a deal with another group, uh, and, and this is in the alternative asset space. So secondary market life insurance is known as an alternative asset. So it's the idea of generating non-correlated returns from alternative assets. And this group uh, specialized in alternative asset um, monetization and really some brilliant folks who who wanted to partner with me and transact uh, with me. And so that led to uh, a transaction that was structured, I believe, in 2018 that clo ultimately closed. It was really exciting. We added hundreds of millions of dollars of equity to the balance sheet, billions of dollars. To, it was really uh, exciting. And then in 2019, they came back and they said, we want to buy you out and take control of this company, John, that you built. And, and I said, well, okay, you know, what's in it for me? And we kind of laid out some terms. And, and part of that then led to my second startup, because at that point, what, what I had really started to focus on within GWG, just as a, as a little seed idea, was this idea, again, we were focused on predicting how long people live, because that was the basis upon which we would value these life insurance policies. And, and through that, I became aware of um, a new science of, of molecular biomarkers of, of health and aging. And specifically, it was the epigenetic clock discovered out at UCLA by this Dr. Steve Horvath. And I became very, very interested in that as an application to the life insurance industry. First, of course, for the, life, the secondary market, but more broadly to this huge industry called the life insurance industry. So I was, I was kind of interested with what, what, some what I saw as major opportunities for the industry. And so when, when I was approached in 2019, they, this, this group didn't have any interest in the technology and, and kind of pursuing what I was starting to get interested in. And I felt these guys had a much bigger platform for doing alternative assets. They were much more experienced and, and uh, really capable folks. So, so that led then to my second startup, really, which was a spin out of, of my technology subsidiary that I was starting to um, imagine within the framework of GWG. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. So, I mean, obviously, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech Domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. A good example here is Aurora.tech. 
which is an innovative brand that has the .tech domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation, which is transforming the way that people and goods move. It is set to launch Horizon, which is Aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety, value, and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners. I've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you, and that is you can get your one-year domain for $10 or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers, and that's again go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. So then the next one is Foxo Technologies. So uh, how was how was that spin out? I mean, so you do the spin out and then all of a sudden you're now like going with this second company, obviously now with more liquidity in your pocket. So I'm sure that, you know, like you were able to digest a little bit more of the risk. But uh, I guess also let's talk about that emotional aspect because all you knew up until that point for the last 14 years was you pushing this company. So yes, you are offered, you know, like this, this deal, how was it like for you to, to all of a sudden, you know, overnight, you know, things change? Well, I mean, it, 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 it changed and it didn't change. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of, for me, it was an easy decision because I felt the group that I was dealing with were super capable folks and could do a lot more with what I had built than I was able to. So that was number one. Number two yeah. was I wasn't done. You know, I was, <laughs> after the deal closed, like, I, I went to work even harder than I did the prior day. I'm not harder, but I'm, I'm, I mean, there wasn't a moment where I took a breather. I didn't, I never, quote unquote, stopped to smell the roses. You know, I, I, I don't know that. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and so really, I, it was a continuum. I just, I just plowed straight on, you know, and that's, that's how I've approached it. We'll, we'll get to the end of the story or, or the, the third part of the story, which was, you know, recently, and I've, I've had to stop and smell the roses because <laughs> within the Foxo Technologies recently, about almost six months ago, almost to the day I was asked to resign. And, and, and when I didn't accept that, their proposal, uh, they fired me. And so I've, 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 now I've been in this area of, of stopping to smell the roses, but I, I'm one of those people where you almost have to force me <laughs> to stop yeah, no, before I'm going to stop. Now, now let's talk about this then. So, so, yeah. so you get that deal done. With GWG, I mean, incredible run. You know, you guys say we're able to build it to over three billion in assets. Say the company was valued at the five hundred million. Uh, I mean, incredible run. So now, you know, you get this deal. Now it's time to do the spinoff, uh, and then now you are pushing Foxo Technology. So, how did that, you know, uh, work? Because I mean, you guys did put that, you know, on a really nice path. You guys did the SPAC, you know, on that and, and took it public with this new, you know, more popular method nowadays. Uh, so how was that? Uh, how was that journey like with Foxo Technologies? And obviously, you know, now you you had the experience of having been the CEO of a publicly traded company before. So it was it was not new territory for you either. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, again, law school preps you for a lot of things. Um, and being a CEO of a publicly traded company wasn't something that, you know, I found um, overly challenging, frankly. Um, in fact, you know, being public affords you and forces you to do, to do a lot of things right. <laughs> and especially if you're raising money, which is disclose risks, 
uh, be transparent about what you're doing, um, you know, have best practices on accounting. So, so in a lot of ways, it's, it's very formative and it forces you to do things really uh, tightly. Um, And, and I, I enjoy that, you know, Um, but, you know, as a, as I spun um, Foxo Technologies out, um, it was interesting. I, I knew I needed about seventy million dollars to to kind of execute the business plan as I had it laid out. That was sort of my minimum, and and we were really on a good path for raising that money. In fact, by the time I signed the letter of intent with this back, I was you know a third of the way there in raising some of that capital, and I was working with investment banks, and I saw a pretty straightforward pathway for doing it. Um, then I got swept up in the in the, in the SPAC frenzy, I'll call it. Um, and I got, um, well, I don't know, I uh, a little rosy, maybe some rosy eyed, you know, I, 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 I started believing some things that maybe I shouldn't have, have, have thought. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, look, we had great investment banks were surrounding us. I mean, the likes of which, you know, this is a dream and they promised you $200 million plus and all of this stuff. And then, yeah. you know, the board were industry folks and it was going to be awesome, you know. And, and and how big was the company at this point where you started to uh, to get, you know, all these investment banks and because you had, you know, pushed that for 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 a little bit, you know, before I'm sure that these guys were knocking. Yeah, I mean, look, we were a team of, um, I don't know, pro- I mean, we, we were pre-revenue, first of all. So we're in a pre-revenue mode. And again, because yeah. I needed this, I'll call it $70 million to, yeah. tur- to really get into a revenue mode. And But I was building the team quite aggressively because I'd raised money. And uh, so, you know, we were, you know, call it 50-odd people. And we were building incredible things. I mean, you know, for Foxo, it was one of my greatest um, uh, um Enjoyments was building and working with that team. We were we were doing incredible work together, um, and I was so excited about the science of epigenetics, which is a science of gene expression. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that for a second. Health and longevity and what's going on there. But uh, look, I was really uh, thrilled with the prospects. And when when we when we signed the deal with the SPAC, we were va- they valued the company at three hundred sixty nine million dollars pre money. So for every entrepreneur, you know, this is your dream come true, right? I'm, and 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 uh, I, I'm like thinking I'm living the dream. And um, you know, at the end of the day, that it it didn't turn out to be so great. <laughs> and for the people that are listening to really to really get it, I mean, what is the difference between the traditional way of going public versus doing the SPAC route? Yeah, that's a that's a great. You know, SPACs aren't aren't. They're not so much written about SPACs today as there was, say, two years ago. Um, and SPACs was very in vogue as a way for startup or early stage companies to go public or really raise money, but to do it in a public uh, context. SPAC is an acronym that stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, SPAC. And the, the public company, the SPAC, raises money and it's, it's, it's a public vehicle. And the idea is, is you merge with the public company who has this money, who has industry expertise that you're intending to execute your business against. And when you do the merger, you get the capital and you become public by a virtue of this uh, merger. 
And that is compared to a traditional IPO. In an IPO, you file what's called an S-1 registration statement. You do a roadshow. You get investors to subscribe effectively to your IPO. And you raise the money and you go effective with this IPO uh, S-1 registration statement. So they're two different tracks. The idea with SPACs was that this was going to be a faster, cheaper, more effective way for a company like Foxo to raise the capital it needed to execute the business plan. And what I'm, what I'm here to report, and I don't think has been widely reported, is that was a myth. It, it, didn't, it, it took longer. It was way more expensive. It was, it was brutal, especially depending on the partners you were working with, which in my case, you know, this deal should have closed within six months. It took 14 months to close the deal. And, it, and, in, and in that time frame, the market went from everything is great for startups and, and, and the world is, is amazing to, you know, uh, every startup, every pre-revenue startup uh, in technology is worth shit. <laughs> That's it. And then, so I was like, Whoa, wait, what happened? <laughs> and so that, that, that's, that's really a, a, an inch, that's the, the, the parallels between going public via, via IPO versus SPAC. And I think some of the uh, challenges with a SPAC. So then in this case, I mean, as you were saying, this thing closed and then you're like, hey, where's the money? Right. So uh, so so what's going on with the money? So it sounds like you guys were building something great. And then all of a sudden it just got uh, a little toxic when you blend it, you know, with this other entity. So uh, I guess, you know, like what 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 unfolded after this? Well, I mean, what what unfolded was pretty quick. I mean. What unfolded was right after we closed the board, I had our first came to our first board meeting and my board was, you know, kind of suggesting I should resign. And I was like, well, why? I mean, the stock, yes, the stock's down. Yes, we didn't raise the money. I mean, all of those things are true, but but this company, Foxo, is amazing. And the things we are proposing to do are amazing. And so let's get busy. Let's I've been I've been busy for 16 months trying to close a SPAC, not being able to work on the goddamn business. I can finally start working on the business. And, and, and when the board kind of suggested this, I was like, well, no, I'm not going to resign. I'm not quitting. I'm just getting started. And, and so anyways, uh, they uh, fired me. So I said, because if you want me to go, I'm not going to leave. So you can fire me, you know, go fuck yourself. I mean, basically. And so, you know, they did. And, you know, the company, look, all I told my team was, you guys are the best team I've ever recruited. Go make something with this company. And if I can help you, I'm here. But this board has made this decision. I have no control over it. I, 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 let, I, I gave them the control, so to speak, in the closing of the merger. And this is the decision they have made. I have no ability to appeal this. So I'm sure that that for you was uh, one of your toughest uh, hours as an entrepreneur. I guess, uh, what did you learn from this? And, and also, how did you, you know, just pick yourself back up and keep going? Well, again, I didn't really pick myself up because I never let myself fall down. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, that, you know, don't, you know, and again, you never know what, 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 again, a bad thing could be a good thing. You know, you just never know. And that is, so those are lessons I had learned in, in, in prior experiences. And so I applied them to what it is, what, what I did do, which was interesting. And like I, I mentioned, I'd never really had an opportunity to take time. And reflect. And so this is the first time in my, I mean, I've raised three kids, you know, my oldest is 29 years old. And I think I was working pretty damn hard at, you know, that from the day he was born until now where I was like, because you're in child rearing, I got to make money, I need to provide for my family. This is my prime. And so I got to this interesting place where 
It's just my wife and myself and a couple of pups. And it's like, oh, wow, I can actually take a little time to think about what, what life is yeah, on the other side of this. Um, and so, and, and so I've, I've taken that time to really reflect on what it is I want to do. Um, and be thoughtful about that. And uh, that's been an interesting um, uh, journey. And uh, what I've learned from that is, good, I'm the type of person who doesn't want to retire. I probably will never retire. I don't like golf. <laughs> I like endurance sports. I, I'm an ultra, you know, uh, amateur ultra, you know, this, that, and everything else. Ironman this, ultra, run that. You know, I love that shit. And so, like, I just want to keep moving. And then I think that's the lesson, which is just keep moving forward. You know, when, when they talk about, and this is, these are lessons you learn on the ultra, when you're running a 50-mile trail run, just keep moving forward. Just don't, even if you have to rest, just keep moving. Slow down. There's a thing called active recovery. So you can, you can actively recover, get your breath back, but you can just keep slowly moving. And so I think I was doing active recovery. So, so one, one thing that is very interesting there, you know, like from Ironmans and Ultra and that kind of stuff that I'm sure that, you know, you've, you've been able to apply in business is, you know, when your body is, is almost giving up on you, how do you keep the mind to keep everything going? Yeah, well, I think that's what I learned from those sports, which is exactly that, you know, you, you, what you learn in doing ultras, uh, I think, um, again, I was never one where I had all the computers and this and that, and I was micromanaging. I was much more interested in how I felt. And what you, uh, and you would you know, have these very long distances, and you would think, how could I ever do that? And so, so that's the, the same journey as an entrepreneur. How could I ever do that? And so you do, you do develop a resiliency of a mindset to be able to achieve what seemingly feels like unachievable uh, goals and objectives. And so that's a, that's a muscle that, that, that one needs to develop and, 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 then, and, and then can use that to apply. People would say, well, what are you training for? I say, well, I'm training for life. You know, life is a journey and I want to be in good health. I want to be resilient all the way to the very end. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, my, that's my goal. Now, what's next for you, John? Uh, next for yeah, next for me, you know, is um, I would say taking the things that I have learned from my career and and reapplying them in its in its best version. Uh, and 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 I think that's another lesson for for entrepreneurs and, and folks to learn to 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 think about is no matter what, you always have this chance to continue to move forward and use all of your experience and knowledge and everything that you've gained on the next version of yourself or the next version of the thing you're doing. So I'm going to go back into life insurance. I'm going to go back into healthy longevity. It's something I have a deep passion for. Um, I see tremendous opportunities for uh, growth and change and disruption and this old stodgy world of life insurance. It's the biggest financial industry that we know of that we don't hear about. Um, and so I'm going to go back into uh, business. Uh, I've got a company that I'll be launching soon, more publicly, but it's called Longevity Partners. Uh, I've got a business plan and I've, I'm taking some steps, for, formative steps right now. Again, I'm still too young to retire. I want to work differently, certainly at this stage of my life. Um, and so, but, but that's just all smart thinking. You know, work smarter, work better, apply everything you know to, to these next phases of whatever it is you're doing. You have a chance and opportunity at every choice you make to make a better choice than the one you had previous based on your knowledge and experience. And when do you think that we're going to be hearing more about your exciting new venture? Uh, you know, give me a couple of months. 
give me a couple of months and uh, it'd be love to come back and talk to you or somehow, you know, make it public, more public for those that are following the story. Uh, I'll publish something on a little website called johnsavis.com. I haven't published much. You can, but I probably will come back to publishing there. Well, if my former company would give me control over my website. Uh, so uh, Instagram, you'll see some John John Savis Instagram uh, and probably LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll be posting stuff. Please follow me if you're interested. So, so let's take a little of, um, of a step back here and, and let's put you into a time machine. Let's put you into a time machine and, and let's bring you back in time. Back in time, perhaps, to that moment where... It was 06. You were thinking about starting your first thing and uh, coming out of law school. And let's say I give you the opportunity of having a chat with that younger John. And you're able to give that younger John one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Mm, great question. <laughs> Very unfair. <laughs> Look, I, I would tell that, I, I'd say to that younger John, do everything that you did because you, you built a hell of a life. You built incredible businesses. You worked with wonderful people. You've improved numerous people, lives of, of individuals. Yeah, there's been challenges and things haven't gone right along the way, but, but, but do it. Don't, 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 just, just keep going. So I, I honestly, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cheat the question. Um, uh, in the sense that uh, I don't believe in redos. I, there are parallel universes, but, but no redos in the, in the one you're in. So I would say, you know, go for it. Do it. I love it. So for the people that are listening, John, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Say hi uh, through Instagram, John, J-O-N dot Sabus. Uh, I love is, is probably my best. LinkedIn, I don't check much. I'm there. Um, yeah, that'd be the best way. Amazing. Well, hey, John, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. I appreciate your interest and thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.